Thanks, Paul. Well, it is good to be here. And uh, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles today to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 42 and following just for a bit. The problem with the preacher being gone for a while is the preacher has like a whole bunch of sermons <clears throat> bottled up, ready to preach, and uh, that makes for long sermons. So I'm going to try to stick, stick to what God gave me and <coughs> getting ready for this. But Acts chapter 2, verse 42 will be where we're going. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. You know, I deal with all different age groups of people. Little dudes at my birthday party yesterday, all the little kids helped me blow out my candles. Fortunately, it was only two candles instead of 70. We would have set off the fire alarm. But, um, and, and I just love little guys. I really do. I get along with them well. Um, Teenagers, college students, I have relationships with them. And <clears throat> I also go to a lot of seminars, meetings, where people are trying to explain to us the problem that we're experiencing in our society and culture. Why are, are young people not coming to church? Why, especially post-COVID, are they not coming to church? And all kinds of folks are not coming to church. It's, it's going on everywhere. And there's two things that I pick up in, in my experience, in conversations, in seminars and all, is, is this. Young people really are looking for a relationship today. Now, I know that sounds strange because they're on their phones all the time, right? Um, but that's why they're looking for a relationship. I, I saw the funniest thing one time. It was like four or five kids were sitting around, and they're obviously with each other, but they weren't talking to each other. But they were talking to each other because I would see one of them do this, and then on one of theirs, somebody would laugh, right? And so uh, individuals that are so technologically driven are seeking relationships, somebody who will sit down and talk to them. And every now and then, I find in, in, with my own, now my kids are older now, but even with grandchildren, that there are lucid moments where I can have that conversation. That's what I look for. I, that time where there's an openness between space and time and words can be shared and hearts and conversations can happen. The second thing that they're looking for is experience. They say that if your God is so powerful, how come I don't see God at work? And they're talking to their parents, but they're also talking to church culture where the power of God is not seen very often. Let me recommend a, a writer to you uh, that 
is, is in our tribe, in the Alliance tribe, who is a biblically-based, solid writer that if you want to read some more about why we're not seeing the power of God manifested in our churches, uh, I can recommend it. His name is Rob Reimer, R-E-I-M-E-R, and he's got a bunch of books out there. Um, solid guy. I've heard him speak, and he's uh, you know, part of the problem with experiencing the power of God is that sometimes we try to create the power of God, but that's one of my points later on. And if you ever hear him speak, he's not flash and dash. He's word and spirit empowered and solid um, for us. So I would encourage you to read any of those things. When we talk about experiencing God and the power of God at work in our lives, if it's not happening the way we think it should happen with flash and dash, then we try to conjure the power of God with performance. What happens in that with young people is that they see the performance, but they don't see the life of Christ behind the performance that is solid and stable and Christ-like because sometimes the performers are not living what they're performing. So let's look at the scriptures and kind of work through this issue, and this will be the issue moving forward. I've probably got three sermons here, so I'll try to be aware that you have a pot roast. Well, I know we have potato salad and beans and coleslaw in the fridge for the meal afterwards, not cooking any of that, so we got plenty of time, but anyway. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. We kind of skipped that verse a little bit. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Jo join with me as I pray. Love you, Father. Uh, as we consider this passage, which we've looked at a hundred times, if not more, speak to us. We would hear from you today. Lord, not suggesting at all that my words are special in any way, but rather your spirit might use this moment to communicate to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look at verse 43 because it says that everyone was filled with awe, the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The Old Testament says that the fear of God, right, is the beginning of wisdom. And we, and we, we get confused about that. In fact, I meet regularly with individuals. I met with a guy Wednesday at Starbucks. Uh, no, it was Friday at Starbucks. And he said, what's this whole thing about fear? It doesn't seem to me that I should fear 
a loving God. He's got questions about scripture, and he asks, I got to be ready for anything when I sit with this guy because he's going to ask me stuff. And I said, well, you know, that word really means, and might be better translated, a reverential awe of God. Okay? When, when the scripture says that, that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made, I was trying to talk to him about how God has created him and that he was knit together in his mother's womb and, and how God has purpose and plan for him and that God is restoring his image. You know, you've heard me preach on the image of God and all that many, many times. And so um, he, he said, well, I'm fearfully, I'm created in fear. And I said, well, I think the, the, if, if you read different translations and you get the nuances of the words that it really means, that your creation was uh, an awe-filled time of the holiness of God occurring in your life as you're knit together. So when you consider that God created you, you should think of that in terms of that it was a holy moment and a holy event. I said, it will change your expression of sexuality in your relationship with your wife because your intimacy shifts from being an act of the flesh to a reverential moment, the presence of God. I know that sounds weird to some of you, but some of you get what I'm talking about when I say that. So, having said that, there was awe. I don't think there was hype. I don't think there was a, a brass band playing. I don't think there was any look at me. I think they saw God working and were awestruck. You know, I use the word, if you follow me on Facebook, somebody will say something, I'll go, awesome. Well, you know, we use that word too much, right? Awesome means something that's filled with awe. And, 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 and even we use, we say the word, something is awful. That's bad? No. Something that's full of awe is a, is a wonderful, majestic, powerful thing that suggests the presence of God. Now, I'm not going to stop saying something is awesome. Because I usually say that when something great happens in somebody's life and I'm affirming the wonder of what happened in somebody's life. Argue with me later about that. We also are part of a family, a, a tribe of believers all over the world um, that are, we're called an Acts 1-8 family, meaning that we are a family of believers who believe that God empowers us with his Holy Spirit and then sends us out to make disciples as empowered individuals to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and you know as we gathered in Spokane Washington with folks from all over the world a couple three weeks ago um, I was reminded again we have a lot of folks from the Philippines here you know there are more Alliance churches in the Philippines in the United States there's hundreds of Alliance churches in Indonesia where we've gone there's 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 Alliance churches in China, for heaven's sake, that have flourished without missionaries. 
I have reason to believe that a family member of mine from Toronto, Canada named, I think her name was Isabel Shore, went from Toronto, Canada, and I've learned that I got a lot of relatives in Toronto, Canada, so, you know. And her name, I started researching her name in all the old history books of the Alliance that go back into the teens and 20s, and about the time of the Boxer Revolution in China, her name disappeared from any of the records. There's a chance that she died for Christ in the midst of that. But God works, right? Even in the midst of all of those things, God is doing his thing and his power. Now, the problem when we talk about the awe-filled um, acts of God in our midst that we just kind of are not sure if we, we just don't know what to do when God heals somebody or, or somebody starts speaking in a language that we don't understand or somebody just kind of falls down in church and we just, we, we just have so many ideas. So let's go to the issue. At the core of the issue, um, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. O'Brien, why are you going to talk to us about love? Well... 1 Corinthians 13, I've read this, I've probably done more than 200 weddings, and I've read this at every wedding. I'll read it at yours. I'll read it at your funeral if you want. <laughs> when they asked for pictures for my birthday party, I said, what do you want pictures for? I'm not dead. It's not a memorial service. But it's kind of fun to see the various phases of there's one phase where I look like Dan Aykroyd. Um, it all has to do with how much weight I've gained or lost. But anyway, all right. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Now, I'm going to talk about this in a second. Sometimes we get it all reversed and we seek these things for our own puffiness as opposed to seeking the gifts of God to act in other people's lives, expressing love and making disciples. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, it's kind, does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So if you see me with a sign in the back of my car that says, all we need is love, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about love in the physical sense that this world is talking about, okay? So let's not get confused. All this talk about love is a good thing. It's a good thing. You know, you see on somebody's car, just be kind. 
That's a biblical concept, y'all. It is not a political concept. I might wear a t-shirt that says that next week. Just make the point. <laughs> Let's go sell them, yeah. All right. Love never fails. But, and this is, this is where the controversy comes in. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away I put the ways of childhood behind me, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now I'm going to shift because... I'm going to shift to the ESV for a minute. No, I don't want to update my Bible. And um, I want want to go back to verse 8, and I want to read it this way. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes... The partial will pass away. That's an, an important part of Scripture. And how it's interpreted by some of us in the Christian family, and by the way, um, I was listening to Bob and Michael talk earlier. It's funny, I'm walking around, I'm listening to like four conversations at a time. I don't know, it's just a gift. I can't understand what my wife is saying to me, but I can hear what you're talking about. I taught first and second grade, and it's just a powerful gift. Um, where you can hear all those conversations, but they were talking about how some of us, when we consider understanding the Word of God, some of us have the idea that we are intellectually gifted and that we get it better than other people sometimes, right? So you're kind of proud about it. So, So it's possible in the family of God to come together and have different understandings and interpretations of Scripture. And if we focus on Jesus, we still can have fellowship with each other. And so this is a passage that lends itself to a lot of confusion. One group says that when we talk about signs and wonders being demonstrated in the church, that signs and wonders stopped when the last apostle died. Technically, they're called cessationists. And they use this verse to to acknowledge that, that prophecies, they will pass away. Tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Now, it's interesting that these same individuals who say that that demonstration of the power, that tongues, oh yeah, that's going to cease. And prophecies, for sure. But knowledge, we're not so sure because they still cling on and hold on to knowledge. And that's one of the problems that we face in the church today. So I'm going to attempt, uh, as I've struggled with this passage, 
Um, and, and my viewpoint has shifted over time. Uh, one of the reasons that I'm with the Alliance is that it is an Acts 1-8 family that we believe that the spiritual gifts that God promised um, are still available and active today. That's where I stand. But I, I didn't always, I came out of a, a good Southern Baptist background and in the Southern Baptist church, we were told that if you spoke in tongues, for example, that you, that was of the devil. Um, I went to a church on Saturday night that said to me that if I didn't speak in tongues, I wasn't a Christian. So as a brand new follower of Jesus, on Sunday mornings, and Adrian Rogers was the preacher, gifted, oh my gosh, to have Adrian Rogers as your pastor was wonderful. And then to go to a, a Bible study, it was on the beach, and it was a bunch of surfers and former drug addicts fit right in and and they were but but the theology was so far apart and distant right so so when I met Vicky and I started going to this little tiny alliance church and they started talking about seek not forbid not meaning um, don't speak don't seek those gifts but if people practice those gifts it's okay it's in order because God is giving those gifts that was just an amazing thing. Most people don't understand that the Assemblies of God, a denomination that's very similar to us in the Alliance, came out of the Christian and Missionary Alliance over this very issue, right? And so, you know, we, we have kind of sort of families and friends all over the place. And whatever you think on this issue, just cling to Jesus and we'll figure it out as time goes on. But key is verse 10. Key is verse 10, because cessationists believe that, that where it says, but when the perfect comes, the imperfect or the partial will pass away. So what they say is that the perfect is the written word of God. The perfect is the written word of God. Since we have had the scriptures in written form, then there's no need for these other gifts. Now, I don't favor that interpretation. Um, I think this is a reference to the return of Christ, that Jesus is the perfect being referenced to. And it makes sense to me that when he returns, all that that we don't understand will be made clear. And verse 12, we see, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will be face to face. I can imagine standing face to face with Jesus uh, at some point in the future, near future, I hope, and going, oh, dude, I get it, right? All the confusion, all the mystery, all the haggle over the arguments, and what's happened is, we have intellectualized ourselves out of the power of God. The problem, number one, is that we have developed our minds and intellect. And I won't tell you who says this, but um, we have... Uh, um, I'm trying to remember the exact quote. Uh, we have, I'll just paraphrase it, 
we have studied ourselves into imbecility. You know, we, we think we know so much that we just believe some of the dumbest things. We don't even believe what's in front of our eyes. It's difficult to explain experience. And some of us have to have all of the questions answered before we will allow ourselves to surrender to the power of God working in our lives. But I want to tell you something. The power of God cannot really be explained. The power of God is an act of grace. The power of God cannot be fully explained. It is an act of grace. The power of God cannot be fully explained. It is an act of grace. Spiritual gifts are called gifts of grace. Gifts of grace. Salvation is a gift of what? Grace. Whatever God has given us, whatever God intends for us, it is a gift of grace. Grace. That's why I asked Paul to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 to 31. The cross is foolishness. You know, uh, yesterday, um, my granddaughter Addison was up here and, um, and her friend was with her. And I had this, this bottle was up here. Let me get it, show you what I'm talking about. This bottle was up here. That's the backup reserve bottle of oil. And they said, what, Pop-Pop, what is that? Right? I said, well, when we pray for people, God, for God to heal people, the Bible says that we should anoint them with oil. And so we anoint them with oil and we pray that God would heal them. And they just kind of chuckled. Why? Because that just sounds foolish, right? I mean, if you're a kid and you don't know any of this stuff and your grandpa's telling you, yeah, we put oil on somebody and... Ask for God to heal them. They go, oh, that is just weird. You know, you guys believe some weird stuff. Until they see that done and see someone healed. As we have in this fellowship, as we gather together, we have seen God at work in that way. Some of us do not experience the power of God. Because we are intellectually focused. That's okay. Because you have a mind. You should develop that mind. That's one of the things that God is restoring in us. Is the ability to know Him and to know stuff. You have emotions. Well, guess what? It's okay to experience emotion. In the body of Christ and in worship because you are emotional. You are physical. Jesus just didn't die for the spiritual part of you. Jesus died for you physically and mentally and emotionally as well. You are mental, emotional, physical. You are also social. You know, young people, in other words, you're designed to have relationship with other people. Think about your life and the majority of problems that you have and the conflicts that you have. Most of them have to do with your relationships with people. 
When you get depressed, what do you want to do? You pull away from people. <laughs> that was all right. Come on now. All right. So Jesus is redeeming all of that. So if young people are looking for a relationship, where can they find relationship? But in the body of Christ, the problem is, is the body of Christ gets together on Sunday and they make do church. And then they all go home and they get behind their doors and they don't interact with other people and with young people. Okay? <laughs> all right? So therefore, they don't necessarily see it. You know, um, Vic, Vic and I for a while have, done, have had people in our homes and, and stuff. And, you know... Um, on Friday nights, on Sunday nights, and, and summer's here, but we'll start up again in the fall. Over and over again, you know, we have young people into our home, and they say the best thing about that is not necessarily the Bible study or conversation or whatever. It's seeing Vicki and I interact with each other. Because they see that somebody can be with another person for 46 years or so and still love each other. And have that interaction, you know. Um, stuff happens when you invite people. I, Vicki gave at the party yesterday, she gave me a notebook full of many of your notes and other notes that people wrote. And one of them was really encouraging. And, and Phil, Phil Dvorak, if you're watching this this morning, I, what you wrote in there just meant so much to me. Um, but can I tell you a little bit of what he said? Because I want to show you the power of relationship, all right? Um, and I'm just, this is what he wrote. This is not, I don't even, I, I'm going to tell you the truth. When I read this and Vicki and I talked about it, we had to really think on it for a while before we remembered these events, all right? Years ago, many years ago, and, and this event happened when we first moved to Jacksonville, and we were trying to plant a church in the Bartram Park kind of area. And uh, so I, Phil Dvorak was a young man who was called to ministry. He was on the staff of a church, and I mentored him through ordination, and uh, things were not going well at that church. And he was really struggling. And so, according to Phil, I don't remember this. According to Phil, Vicki and I invited him to come to our house. And I also invited him to preach on Sunday morning. Y'all remember Phil Dvorak preaching on Sunday morning? I don't think so. I mean, if you do, you might have dementia because you're remembering things in the past, but you can't remember your name right now. <laughs> but anyway, all right. So I know it's something I shouldn't joke about. All right. But um, so he says that he came and he preached and he really did not want to preach because he didn't even think he wanted to be in ministry anymore. And he says that Vicki and I talked with him and his wife and that we restored their, their sense that God's hand was on their life and that God had a plan and purpose for them. Do you know what Phil Dvorak does right now? 
Phil Dvorak is the leader of a movement of churches in the United States. They have churches from coast to coast, maybe 100 churches right now, that are called recovery churches. They're churches specifically for people who are being delivered from drug addictions. And these churches, when he was ready to leave ministry, he became a, a, a counselor in a drug rehab thing, and he realized there was no place because people were coming to Jesus in this rehab center and there was no place for them. So he started up a church in Lake Worth. The town of Lake Worth kicked him out. He went to another thing. Before long, churches just started spreading up the east coast of Florida. Um, there isn't one in Jacksonville yet. There's one in Palm Coast. They're from coast to coast in the United States. And he said, Brian, he said, that conversation, that relational moment in your home with me and my wife, with you and Vicki, started something in which a hundred individuals a week are giving their lives to Jesus. Okay? So when you think about the young person that lives near you and whether you want to engage them in a relationship, well, yeah, that, that, that could inconvenience you as an individual. Connecting with that person that lives in your neighborhood or whatever. But you know what? That conversation with, that you have with that young person, and young person is defined in a variety of terms, could be and frankly will be life transforming because even though they're looking at this, they want you. No, they don't, preacher. Yes, they do. They want a conversation with you. They want to get to know you. And so sometimes when we're looking for the hype and the flash, the person near us just wants us. And when they experience us and we are yielded to Christ, they just might not see the ugly you. What? I mean, I have to put on a suit when I meet with... No, the ugly you, you know? In fact, they want to see the ugly you. They want to know that you're not the church lady or the church dude that puts it on on Sunday. They want to know that it's okay for them to come sit in your house. They want to know that. They want to know that you have not pulled away from them. That you want to have a relationship with them. And so as we intellectualize the gospel, as we develop our minds and are afraid for our emotions and our bodies and our social person to be engaged, we miss out on the power of God as an act of grace. There's some other problems, but I'm going to stop there because I have realized I have three sermons here. So we'll deal with another problem next week. But the power of God is an act of grace. Personally, when I have experienced 
the physical presence of God and heard the voice of God in my life, which has been occasional. It's always been at a time unexpected and unsought. Simply the power of grace. And we have a graceful God. So let's pray with each other this morning. Loving Father, I thank you for your presence and your word this morning. I pray that as we consider the power of your grace in our lives, that as we surrender to you, we will surrender our minds to you. We will surrender our emotions to you. We will surrender our physical bodies to you. We will surrender our spirit to you. That we might be redeemed in all of those areas. We thank you for that and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So.